0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and joining me today is Chad. How are you, Chad?
1: Good evening.
0: (laughs) Do you want to suck my blood?
1: (laughs) Um, No, I'm I'm more into, you know, small animals, that kind of thing. I, I don't really feed on humans.
0: Oh, are you one of those vegetarian vampires? I am,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: you know. Do you shine and sparkle when you go out in the sunlight?
1: I will choke you out, Al.
0: (laughs) Well, it's a good thing that we're doing this over Skype then, and uh, we're not... You know, in the same room together. Otherwise, I'd probably be dead right now.
1: <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's, it's sparkly. And, and this is probably has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about tonight. But sparkly vampires piss me off.
0: Yeah, and there have been a few good memes about it. And, of course, we're talking about the vampires from Twilight. There was one that uh, someone had a Photoshopped picture of uh, Wesley Snipes as the Blade character.
1: Yes, I love that. It's got to be my favorite one.
0: Yeah, and he's standing behind a picture of Edward Cullen running, and it's like, "Yeah, run, Sparkle Boy." Yep, yep. And there was another <laughs> one from uh, interview with the Vampire where it had, uh, Le, was it Lassat and? Lassat? Yeah, yeah, Lassat. And what's the other one's name? Louis. Louis. Yeah, and it's like, is he sparkling? That <laughs> is totally not acceptable. <laughs> so, and
1: I agree,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I suppose we could probably do an entire episode about what Stephanie Meyer did to the you know the vampire genre with her uh Twilight series, I mean, really, about the only thing I could see maybe going there, and we we've talked about idea theft before, right, but, um, you know, if you're looking for some place to go to look for ideas for how. Let's say you are running a modern-day horror campaign with vampires in it. You know, that might give you some ideas on how vampires would function in the modern world. And, I mean, I, of course, I know White Wolf. Uh, they've Have you ever played Vampire the Masquerade or any of the White Wolf games?
1: Yeah, yeah, I have.
0: And I know they go a lot in there, but...
1: You know, it, it's not so much that they sparkle, which, uh, it's, uh, you know, and that, that annoys me, but it's not that. It's the fact that she has them walking around in daylight, you know, that they're they're, they're not affected by daylight. And I've read a lot of stories about vampires and the undead and, and all this stuff, and there's no basis in that. You know, the, the, the lore, the way it was written does not allow for that. I mean, Dracula could not walk during the day. I uh, thought he um,
0: could because um Matt Pat he does this show called Game Theory and okay. he had one where it called Castlevan about Castlevania where he's called Dracula Spectacular and I believe he mentioned in that video that in the in the, the Bram Stoke, Stoker's Dracula that mm-hmm. uh when he went out into the sun he was powerless but he didn't like die And I think that even um, what was it Uh, in 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 night in the almost a night wolf in White Wolf's vampire thing. I think even then, you know, vampires can they can survive brief periods in sunlight.
1: This was in 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 White Wolf. There was one of the clans that could walk during the day for brief periods, but most of them could not.
0: Yeah, and I think it was something like and. It's been so long since I played White Wolf, so I—if any of you out there are diehard White Wolf fans—I might be wrong on this, but it was like you took damage that you couldn't soak. Because um, in, in the White Wolf stuff, uh, soaking damage—it's like you know absorbing some of it, where you're not—you get hit, but you're not really hurt by it.
1: Huh. That- yeah, I you know I never played Masquerade. That was Old World of Darkness. I've played New World of Darkness, but only from the aspect of being a human, not from the aspect of being one of the um one of the special creatures. You know, a vampire or werewolf or you know whatever. I mummies, whatever they have. You know, there's a ton of them. But uh, and you know, now that you say that about Bram Stoker's Dracula, I think you're right. I think he could. He was powerless. He was just basically human during the day.
0: I turned to Wikipedia, the source of all knowledge, and according to that, uh, on the article about Count Dracula, Dracula is much less powerful in daylight and is only able to shift form at dawn, noon, and dusk. He can shift form freely at night or if he is in his grave. The sun is not fatal to him, though as sunlight does not burn and destroy him upon contact, most of his abilities cease. And there's a... Uh, quote from the book here The sun that rose on our sorrow this morning guards us in its course. Until it sets tonight, that monster must retain whatever form he had, now has. He is confined within the limitations of his earthly envelope. He cannot melt into thin air nor disappear through cracks or chinks and crannies. If he goes through a doorway, he must open the door like a mortal. So his power ceases, as does all evil things at the coming of day. Only at certain times does he have limited freedom. Um, So, yeah, it looks like, yeah, he, 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 and I could see with, with Dracula, I mean, if we're assuming that he's an exceptionally powerful vampire, that Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you could allow that, but like maybe weaker vampires, like ones that were just created, you know, I could see, okay, sunlight, boom, you're done.
1: Right. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen the nineteen? It was a nineteen thirties Nosferatu.
0: I have not. I've seen like clips of it here and there, but I okay, haven't that, actually seen so, the movie.
1: It was a silent it was a silent movie. Um and they, they had um Count oh what was his name? Well anyway the 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 vampire in this one, and that's how at the end of the 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 movie he dies is he's exposed to sunlight and he just kind of poofs. So you know, and it would be kind of interesting at some point to go back and kind of figure out where each of those legends came from. You know, like where where did it become ingrained into the the um you know the the uh,
0: our psyche or
1: our yeah the knowledge the the shared knowledge of people that vampires you know poof they go away in the daylight. But yet it's pretty simple. You went out to Wikipedia and went, da 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 and they went, No, Dracula doesn't die in the sun. You know, so where does that where does that shared consciousness come from, you know? Yep.
0: As as Dawn called it when we were discussing when we were doing our one hundredth episode, our modern mythology or you know, our cultural mythology. So yeah, I mean that's that's something for a future topic though. So <laughs> but I think okay, so now that we've been off track and rambled for several minutes here. Today, we're going we're to be. Good at that, Al. What's that?
1: I said, we're good at that.
0: We are masters at getting <laughs> off topic. So, speaking of getting off topic, uh, so of course, now this is the time of the year for ghosts and ghoulies and witches, but also pumpkin spice everything. So, are there any pumpkin spice products that you've tasted that you just really, really loved, or maybe ones that made you just kind of want to retch?
1: I try to avoid pumpkin spice, I mean not that I dislike it, but for me, pumpkin spice belongs in a pumpkin pie, and I will have pumpkin pie at thanksgiving um you know, I've tried a few of the latte type things, and I mean they're fine they're it's cinnamon and allspice i mean it's it's nothing spectacular. I don't get what the the whole um explosion of everything you know pumpkin spice you know, and it's the time of year too. I don't know if you saw a couple of weeks ago, the, the post I made the Facebook with, um, you know, I was like, I was having one of those moments where I'm like, everything's pumpkin spice, you know? And I'm like, and I was just goofing around and I went out to Google images and I typed in, you know, pumpkin spice tampons. And sure <laughs> enough, somebody had, somebody had made a piece of art. So I posted that on Facebook and I'm like, things have gone too far. and, <laughs> And the funny thing is, is there were people that actually looked at that and went, oh my God, I don't believe that's out there. And I'm like thinking, oh my God, people, what is wrong with you?
0: It's the magic of Photoshop. And yeah, there was this one, uh, a friend of mine shared on Facebook last year, uh, a picture of a, like an oil change sign or a sign outside of an oil change place. And it said, we have pumpkin spice motor oil. And I don't know. (laughs) I, I have to admit, I do like pumpkin spice lattes, or ca- cappuccino, rather. Pumpkin okay. spice coffee, though, just uh, didn't doesn't sit right with me.
1: Well, you know, I, I mean, it, it is what it is. Most coffee, I find flavored coffees. Now, I like the flavored coffees. Not so much for the flavor, because to me, coffee tastes like coffee, but because of the smell. So now, if they make a nice pumpkin spice coffee, you know... That, you know, it's, it's however they brew it. So it has that flavor in it. That would be great. Cause that smell awesome, but it doesn't really affect the taste. Now what you're talking about, I'm thinking is more of like a pumpkin spice flavor added to coffee. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And in that case, I could see that getting cloying for lack of a better word.
0: Yeah. So I think we've, I think we've, uh, been off to gotten off topic enough and uh let's move on to today's feature presentation and we're going to be talking a little bit about halloween and specifically how to integrate halloween and horror themes into your campaign if it's not necessarily a you you know a horror type campaign and like let's say you want to do a special gaming session, if you will, because, you know, of course, one of the things around Halloween that's so much fun is, you know, a lot of different shows will have their Halloween specials. There's some classics like It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown and the Garfield Halloween special. And, of course, usually your sitcoms will have their Halloween episode where sometimes it features, like, characters going to a Halloween party or going out trick-or-treating other times it's just like okay, there's a jack o' lantern in the background. That's our Halloween episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think some things have gotten into these into our consciousness in such a way. Things like um, I would consider um, the Simpsons Treehouse a horror. I mean, it's a yearly special.
0: Yeah, that's right. I was I forgot about that one. That's another good one, which they've done for many many years. I mean, I can remember it back when I was a kid.
1: Oh yeah. And we weren't kids yesterday.
0: That <laughs> thanks. Thanks for reminding me. No, just
1: kidding. Hey, no problem, man. Hey, I'm in the same boat. I, like I said, we're a couple we're a couple months apart, and I'm not even actually sure which one of us is older by a couple months, but
0: I am forty one, so I, I think I'm a little bit older than you.
1: Yep, you're a little bit older than me then yeah. I don't turn forty one till April, so
0: Okay, so but we're yeah, a couple so- of forty somethings and obviously we have many fond memories about Halloween, but Anyways, as you were saying,
1: um, but you know things like that that have become part of those things. I mean, when you and I were kids, it was it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Uh, you know the the uh, like you said the um, the uh, well, that's the peanuts. But then there was like the Garfield one, and and you know certain things that you watch at that time of year. But now there are more. You know, obviously things are. Treehouse of Horror is one of those things where it is now kids that are. Even 30 years old, probably don't remember Halloween without a treehouse of horror. Yep, that's true. I don't know. It's just, oh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so <laughs> I'm not sure where I was going with that. Okay, so let's talk about some ways how
0: we can integrate a Halloween theme into a campaign. And now, first, it's it can be easier or harder to do, I guess, depending on the nature of your campaign. If you're doing like an urban fantasy campaign or a modern day campaign that does allow some supernatural elements, that might be one way you could work uh, Halloween into your game. Now, I think for your traditional swords and sorcery type adventure, uh, you know, or some people like to call it high fantasy or Tolkien fantasy it might be a little trickier so there is a an idea i have on how you can work halloween type themes into a fantasy game but let's let's uh shift the question to you first so how would you do a halloween day of the dead type theme in your fantasy campaign
1: the best way i think to uh to do this is to put it somewhere in between main points of of a story So if they're traveling, let's say, from one city to another, you could insert like a haunted graveyard or a haunted piece of woods or, or, you know, they could find a witch's coven, something like that. Or if it's um, if they're in a city campaign where they're not going from city to city, you could do something along the lines of, you know, somebody in the city calls them in and says, hey, I just inherited this piece of land or this old house from my uncle or my my you know cousin or whatever and they send them out to just kind of like you know go check it out see what's there and report back to them. you could make it a haunted house you could you know um there could be something strange going on it could be you know uh, uh i don't know a ghoul's a ghoul's taking up residence in there or something to that effect you know something that's You can work right into the storyline, even though it doesn't affect the main story. It'll affect the characters involved. Um, You know, it's kind of like real life. Now, every day you go to work and you come home and you go to work and you come home. Well, what happens if one day you're coming home and there's this big accident in front of you? And even if you're not involved in it, it still affects what happens as a whole for that point, for that person. But it doesn't affect the whole situation of, guess what, tomorrow you're still going to work again. I like to sneak them in in such ways that it seems part of the story, even though it may not be.
0: Okay, so that that's definitely a good way to do it. And I I know you talked. Uh, you're probably going to go into this a little bit more when you mentioned a haunted house, because uh, Chad and I were at a game convention, a new game of Palooza in Oshkosh just a few days ago, and I know you were talking about an idea you had for. An event that you're going to be running at a convention so why don't you go a little bit into that
1: okay so i am in the process of um putting together a haunted house campaign believe it or not well not really a campaign it's a one-shot um made to do to run at conventions um i'm putting it together to officially unveil it at evercon in january But um, before that, I'm working to finish it for, um, actually, November 19th because there is International Game Day, and um, the local library here has invited me to come in and run some games. So that's what I'm trying to – I'm trying to get it finished up by then. But the whole idea is um, that, like I said before, there's a a mayor of a town that I'm going to put the people in. He's going to call them in and say, hey, my uncle – I've inherited this house from my uncle. Um, I want you to go check it out before I take my family there, though, because my uncle was known to be involved in some darker things, and I just want to make sure there's nothing there that's going to cause any harm to me and my family. You know, and then he'll offer him offer them some gold-type thing, and that'll be that. I mean, it, it's it's truly meant to be a convention game. They'll go in. It'll take, like, four hours, I found a picture of a kind of a creepy looking house out on the internet and I'm creating the floor plan for inside. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't know, maybe somebody's listening. (laughs) Um, But you know, it's, it's a three story house. It's going to, I'm going to include a basement area and that's where most of the stuff will go, but they'll have to go through the upper three levels in order to get the clues and the devices they need to defeat what's going on below the house so that's just kind of the way it's being set up but um i like to do that um just simply because it's a fun campaign they can it's something they can work with a character on it's something that gives them a purpose which can be an issue sometimes i've played convention games where the, the real desire to go and do what they want you to do is like uh why And this will give them the motivation through money. And, uh, you know, that's just, I I guess that's where it sits. Um, You know, convention games, of course, are easier uh, to convince people to go do what you want them to do. Because they're like, oh, this is four hours of my life. And if it sucks, well, it's still only four hours of my life, you know.
0: Okay, yeah, that you are right there. And again, that's uh, everyone take a swig. It's time for the Point of Insanity Game Studio Geekery and General Drinking Game. I'm about to say that phrase again. Well, this is a topic for another time, but yeah, and and, I mean, convention uh, creating an an adventure for a campaign, and again, as you as you said, it can be challenging because you've only got about a four, usually about a four or five hour window of time to work with. So. You know, since you're taking these these players, and you don't know what kind of a group you're going to get, it's like okay, here's your character sheets, and now we've got four hours to finish this adventure, and you want to try to make it a you know an adventure that's going to be satisfying for them for that next four hours,
1: right? And and that's the thing. I don't know. I don't know how many conventions you really do. I have in the last (laughs) seven eight years, I have done countless conventions. some of the time as a vendor at convention, some of the times as an attendee. But, you know, you always find time, even when you're working at a convention, to do something. Whether you sit down and play a role-playing game or you play a board game or, you know, whatever. But, and sometimes it's just really hard to even fathom sitting at a table for four hours. Now, I'm not the type of guy that usually gets up and walks away. But when I was at a convention last year down in Madison... I went to – I sat down at this table and the DM in in my estimation didn't understand his own system that he was running. He didn't understand how to DM and after like a half hour, I made up some excuse and I left because I just couldn't you know, handle it. It's the one and only time I've ever gotten up from a table and walked away because it's like most of the time I'm like it's four hours. I can do anything for four hours.
0: Yep, and – I think another way that you can integrate Halloween or do like a Halloween type adventure is most fantasy settings have some co- sort of deity of death and the dead. Now, or sometimes the undead. I mean, you sh- the, the complete book of Necromancers, it's a second edition Dungeons & Dragons supplement they actually differentiate between a god of death and a god of the undead where a god of death that the clergy of that deity actually usually oppose a deity of the undead because a cleric of death they usually they're involved with protecting the dead performing funeral funeral rites essentially they they teach that death is a natural part of life it's something that has to be prepared for so they would see the undead as in oh I'm trying to, abomination where because that's that's basically some form of life beyond death and that's totally not natural. So when I was back in a live action role playing post, we one of the deities in that particular setting was called Grumach and he was the the god of the undead and. It, it was fun the way that they did the calendar year. They actually had our our uh, game session in October was always Grumox Day. And during that day, the undead would become a lot more powerful. So that's another way you could do a Halloween-type themed adventure. You could say that, okay, this is this is the day that is sacred to the god of the undead. And because of that... The clerics of this deity are more powerful, and undead monsters are more powerful. For example, you might have that even something simple, like a skeleton or a zombie, can't be turned, and you might even decide to give them a few extra hit dice or have them swing for extra damage. So that's one way I could see integrating Halloween-type themes into your role-playing game campaign.
1: Yeah, I can see. I can definitely see that.
0: Yeah, and to go along with your haunted house theme, there's an urban legend that many, 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 many episodes ago, my I I think it was like in the teens, but my friend Casey and I did a show about urban legends, and one of them was. This is just one of my favorite urban legends: the one about the haunted house that's so scary no one can finish it. And there's. Different variations of the myth, but or the urban legend rather. Usually, it costs a lot of money to get in. Like when I was a kid, I always heard it was fifty dollars to get into this this haunted house. Okay. And in some versions of the story, for every it was a, like a five floor haunted house, and for every floor you got through, you got ten dollars back. Other versions, you didn't you know you didn't get any money back unless you made it to the very end. But supposedly the, you know, the exit to the end, it was clearly dangerous. So no one in his right mind would try to go over there. So most people just kind of, you know, turn back. So that's... Gave up
1: the money, huh? Pardon? I said gave up the money, huh?
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's one thing I, I think you could do with like a Halloween type, or I'm sorry, a haunted house type uh, adventure you could have this you know house full of all sorts of maybe not necessarily creatures that cause physical damage but have fear effects and maybe there's some great treasure hidden in this house and in order to uh, in order to get to that treasure they have to you know make it through to the top floor of the house or maybe you might have it where there's actually several layers below the house so you have to go into this dungeon and that, you know, a lot of the monsters would have exceptionally powerful fear effects that they produce. And, um, have you ever done much in Ravenloft?
1: I never did. Um, I now have the Ravenloft setting for second ed. I picked that up uh, recently, but I've never really done much. I have looked at the new Ravenloft setting for 5th edition, and that that really kind of intrigues me. Um, But otherwise, I've only done Ravenloft as convention games, actually, and they are very deadly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, I've only done a little bit of gaming in 2nd edition Ravenloft, but one of the things that they were big on there were horror checks, where if your player comes into contact with something that's exceptionally frightening or exceptionally menacing, you have to make this horror check. I don't think they really did that with fifth edition Um, about a month and a half or so ago. uh, I, uh, one of my groups that I game with, we finished doing curse of Strahd for fifth edition. And as I recall, there really weren't uh, any sort of horror checks or date. Our game master never made us do any horror checks in that game. So I'm not sure if it's a situation where Fifth Edition Ravenloft just doesn't have the horror checks, or maybe our game master just decided not to mess around with it. I'm I'm, I'm not really sure. I'll have to ask uh, him sometime just to you know just out of curiosity.
1: You know, where I I would be really familiar with and and very easy to put together something for a Halloween session would be the system. One of one of my favorite systems, Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu, I mean, obviously, if you know anything about it, lends itself to horror in role-playing. And so to make it Halloween, I think um, it would be relatively easy. You know, you can take the monsters. What what I like to do sometimes is take an, an existing monster, and then you can just kind of make them look however you want. So instead of having, like, a uh, Cthuloid, which is a human-sized miniature Cthulhu, Um, you know, take him and, and put a pumpkin on his head instead of tentacles type thing, you know, Um, you could do um, something along the lines of like the headless horseman, you know, get a spectral rider, put him in the, in the woods somewhere. And he's looking for his head because he's got a pumpkin for a head. Um, There's a lot of ways you could go with it. Um, You could go to the undead side of it because there are characters that are undead.
0: Because I believe in Call of Cthulhu, the one of the terms that I'm familiar with just listening to you talk about it and other people is the insanity check. Now, do you think that's something that would work well in a Halloween themed adventure? Or
1: oh yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there's always going to be an insanity check. It doesn't matter if you're doing it on Halloween or not. But what I would do, just for flavor, is instead of calling it an insanity or a sanity roll, I would call it a fear roll. So you would have a level of fear that you could withstand, i.e. your sanity points, and then you would make a fear check against that, and you know you would lose fear points. And basically, instead of going insane, when you got down to that point, you would, you know, you'd go cat- catatonic or something. You know, you would from just fear. kind of
0: collapse into a quivering, useless mound of of mush, wetting your pants in fear.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So if I was going to go Halloween, that's how I would deal with, with with the sanity, you know. And the other thing is is Call of Cthulhu is a very deadly system. You have X amount of hit points, which usually range somewhere from three to maybe ten if you're really lucky. Um, you would have to be very large and very um, burly in order for either of those to, to you know to get ten hit points. But then you could, you know, you die easily in Call of Cthulhu. So if you bring guns into the game or you bring, you know, knives, people die. You don't heal, like, in a a fantasy setting. So there's a lot of things you could do with that. I mean, you could kidnap people and there's torture and there's all these fun things that you think of when you think of horror in in role-playing. So, um, but, I mean, on the base... Base, I wouldn't change the way I put the game together other than, you know, it would be set in October and there would probably be some cult that, uh, you know, uh, sacrifices blonde virgins and and black cats and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it'd be a pretty straightforward game to put together, I think.
0: Okay, and, yeah, and another game system, if you are looking for a, a system to use for a one-shot, like, Halloween adventure... Dream Park, if you can find it, and if you you know happen to, or if you happen to have a copy, because yeah, I'm not about,
1: I'm not familiar with Dream Park.
0: Yeah, because the basic premise behind Dream Park is it's essentially a futuristic, very high tech live action role playing game, and it's based on a series of novels. And in the you know, Dream Park is this futuristic amusement park. And people do these live action role playing and the system itself is fairly easy to pick up on. But one of the fun things about Dream Park is it lends itself well to both one shot game sessions as well as long term campaigns. And there's a section where they talk a little bit about different genres and you know how you might work with them. So I, I think Dream Park would be good if not necessarily for just part of a regular campaign but more like okay guys i've got an idea for a a haunted house scenario or a zombie in the graveyard type scenario or or a vampire uh scenario dream park would be a i think a pretty good choice to do one of those one-shot campaigns or one-shot game sessions rather
1: okay yeah it sounds like um it would be perfect for that i mean you know anything where where you can tighten things up and make for a single sit down get through it you know four or five hours any system like that is good and actually you know the more I think about it and I think the reason I was having a hard time coming up with a way to do it in a fantasy setting is I don't think it really lends itself to it um
0: that is true I mean look at you know, the whole Lord of the Rings thing, how it went from, you know, The Hobbit with its prequel and then it had three books. And I think you're right about that. It's hard to really imagine a lot of fantasy game. Well, it can be done, of course. I mean, we, you know, we've both done gaming at conventions where, you know, you do these one-shot uh, game sessions. But, yeah, really with high fantasy Dungeons & Dragons games, we're usually looking at long-term campaigns that have these grand story arcs where you start out as this, you know, we this, you know, new, you know, this this newly trained wizard or maybe a, a a novice priest or a fighter who just got done with basic training, and you know they they start out weak and then eventually they start growing until they become more powerful. Where, yeah, for I, I can I understand what you're saying when you say that it's harder to imagine that being easy for one shot game scenarios
1: right because they're they're the the games are built to be on an epic level you know they're they're supposed to be campaign long they're supposed to be you know high fantasy um campaign type settings i mean that's the way the game is written and that's how i think a lot of us play them i don't know very many people that will go well i'm just going to run for 4 hours and you're like to me, I'm like, what's the point? You know, yeah. why, why am I going to go through all the work of making a character? Why am I going to go through all the work of envisioning the character's background? And then four hours later, be like, well, that was fun.
0: Yep. And exactly, because like in Dungeons and Dragons you know, you start out, you're fighting usually goblins and orcs, and then eventually you move up to ogres and then trolls and giants and dragons. And eventually you're fighting liches and demigods and, you know, ancient great worm dragons. So yeah, that's, it is built to have yep. that, you know, that, that curve like that where, yeah, I mean, like Call of Cthulhu, you're, that's probably not designed to be like, Okay, we're going to start out by fighting the cultists of Cthulhu, and eventually we're going to work our way up to a big epic confrontation with Cthulhu himself.
1: Yeah, that doesn't happen.
0: (laughs) I know we've talked about. Oh, go ahead. Yeah,
1: we've talked about this, but the whole idea of the big creatures is that they're in the background, they're there, they're manipulating things, they're causing things, but. You as an investigator are never going to come face to face with Cthulhu or Yig or you know Hastur. You're not gonna to come to face to face if you come face to face with any of those guys, you're you're done. I mean it's over. There's I don't care. You bring a bazooka, it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> yeah, you shoot Cthulhu with a bazooka, he'll be like, was that like a fly or a mosquito? <laughs> And then Cthulhu looks at you, and then you go incurably insane, right?
1: Right. Well, first make your sanity roll. And then once you make a sanity roll, then you actually make, if you fail your sanity roll, then you have to make another roll. And I forget what, exactly what they call it, but you may just die. Yeah. <laughs> just from the sheer terror of everything, you may just die.
0: <laughs> another another um, game system that I think could be fairly easy to do like a one-shot Halloween thing for would be honestly I could see you could try to do it with Marvel superheroes except instead of you know creating characters that are going to have all these grandiose powers you know you could still use it to create normal people where their powers are all coming from gadgets or gizmos and I've I've talked about Marvel superheroes, the the TSR version, every now and then. And again, it's thing I love about it: really simple, really easy system to pick up on.
1: Yeah, yeah, I have played um, superheroes, different superhero games, and the the one we're playing right now, actually, I'm in a superhero game. It's a uh, Palladian. Um, I want to call it. Say it's called like Master Masterminds or something like that. Mutants but it's a superhero game. What's that?
0: Mutants and Masterminds.
1: Yeah, that's it. Um, since I don't own the books, I can't look at my shelf and get the right name. <laughs> but um, and and the play is actually pretty easy. Um, and it's it's kind of a crunchy system from what I've gathered so far. I've only played in one one session, but it seems kind of crunchy. You know, I think of other games where you could pull something like that off, and I'm thinking, you know, we talked earlier about um, World of Darkness, or uh, what do you call it, the old World of Darkness. You know, in, in in a game like that, you could easily get a bunch of humans um, and throw them out against, you know, a coven of vampires or a, a group of uh, werewolves, you know, anything Halloween-based, uh, you yeah. A, a cavalcade of, you know, um, mummies if you wanted to.
0: Yeah, or what else would... Yeah, I know, like, White Wolf had, uh let's see, Hunter the Reckoning, Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse, Changeling the Dreaming, uh, Mummy the something else. Um,
1: you got Summoners, which are wizards. Um, Prometheus
0: the Created, uh, Wraith the Oblivion, so yeah, it's like, I don't know how... I mean, I'm... I'm not really intimately familiar with the White Wolf system, so I'm not sure how many different games there are, but...
1: There are several, and and the nice thing about it is they do write them in such a way that you, you can make a human, you know, character, or even a hunter, which is more or less just a superhuman, um, and you can go out against, you know, anything you want. You know, they've got books out there to help you, too. They've got, like, night horrors. Um, you know, they've got, uh, like urban legends. So they have all these different scenarios that you can pick and choose and twist and turn and do it in such a way that you could make it into a Halloween, um, type encounter very easily. Okay.
0: And I think another thing you could, uh, do with, well, actually, let me ask you this. What exactly is the difference between, the new world of darkness and the stuff that came before i'm i'm just curious because like i said i haven't played a lot of the white wolf system so i'm not exactly sure what the difference is
1: i couldn't tell you to be honest i never played old world of darkness i've only played the new stuff i guess it's it they they the thing i've heard from people who have played old world of darkness versus new world of darkness is they brought the power levels down it's I mean it was a very epic type game and I mean you played very powerful characters and they've kind of backed down on that and made them more realistic <laughs> if you can call you know being a vampire realistic <laughs> but basically the difference the, the big difference between Old World of Darkness and New World of Darkness is um Old World of Darkness was a setting that was created and then they got sued um when the partners that created old World of Darkness had a falling out, somebody sued somebody, and New World of Darkness is basically what was left over after all the the uh the internal strife had cleared and the stuff that he could still use and was able to deuce things with. Okay. So
0: and yeah, if anyone listening to this, if I mean if you if you know more about the White Wolf system than either I do or Chad does, uh, you know, searching people...
1: hard people. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. We don't, we haven't really played it a lot, so it's not too difficult, but yeah, if you happen to know the difference between the two, feel free to leave a comment on the, you know, so like I said, cause I am kind of curious. So, well, we've covered haunted houses and things like fear and horror, but another part of Halloween is trick or treating. So can you think of any ways that you might work trick-or-treating into your uh, campaign for a Halloween game session?
1: Well, there's a couple ways you could go about it. Um, One that just pops off the top of my head is with this craze right now with the creepy clowns everywhere. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You could be, uh, you know, you could be hunting these clowns and, you know, trick-or-treating happens around it. So it's just like you kind of take this creepy clown phenomenon and you drop it on Halloween. And, you know, you are the people that are out there trying to keep everybody safe. And it just kind of works itself into a trick or treat scenario, you know, because all of a sudden it's Halloween night and the kids are out and they're trick or treating. And, you know, you're hearing about creepy clowns on Oak Street and creepy clowns on, you know, Johnson Street or whatever. And some
0: weird guy on Elm Street, but we won't go there right now.
1: Yeah, but you only see him when you're sleeping. It's weird.
0: Yeah, and I I could see that working uh, really well if you are doing, like, especially a modern day type campaign, Um, though I suppose with a little bit of reworking, you could do it in a, you know, a fantasy type campaign, because you could have, like, right, like maybe you've got the the adventurers, they go to this from remote village, and... When they go there, they're like you know they they notice that there's this unusual tradition of people like uh, you know going and dressing in costumes and walking around and asking everyone for treats. So yeah, that's something that you might be able to to work in as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think anything. I mean, and if you want to do it more of a medieval feel, I mean, change the clowns into witches or. You know, supposed witches. And then, you know, the whole idea is the adventurers have to figure out who the real witches are and who the, you know, the ones that people just think are witches, but are just, you know, crazy old women that, uh, you know, just don't know how to socialize correctly at the time. So I don't know. There's, I think there's a lot of ways you can go about doing it. Um, Halloween is just one of those, it's one of those holidays that you can look at it from so many different aspects. Uh, you know, from an evil aspect, from a religious aspect, from a, you know, there's just so many different ways to look at it and so many different ways you could go about running a campaign that is, quote-unquote, a Halloween campaign.
0: Exactly, and, you know, you could do, you could take a a more horror-type feel to it if that's what your group's interested in, or, you know, even possibly do, like, a, even a lighthearted thing if you are doing, you know, like I said, if you're doing a superhero campaign, that's something that I could see taking a more lighthearted approach because, you know, maybe you could have it like the characters, you know, they're, they're, you know, these superheroes and maybe they have to attend a, you know, a party is like a fundraiser. And then of course, something goes away, whether you want to take a more lighthearted approach or a more grim approach, of course, that's, you know, entirely up to you. But I think we've talked enough about halloween for now though of course it's one of those hollow i just love halloween so it's one of those things that i could probably go on
1: and on forever about <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of halloween myself so
0: chad if people want to find you and maybe read some of your writings or hear some of your other words or wisdom where can they find it
1: well um right here on this uh this link right or this uh this thread right here um I actually uh, do a podcast called "Whose Podcast Is It Anyway," um, and Al is nice enough to uh, host that for me. So uh, just uh, look up and down the thread there, and if it says W uh, who W P I I A, that's me. <laughs>
0: yep, whose podcast is it anyway? And I've been known to rear my ugly head on that podcast every now and then as well yes
1: yes. Al is a three-peat offender
0: <laughs> I've offended for worse but anyways <laughs> well with that said I'd like to thank you all for listening and have a good evening or morning or afternoon whatever it is wherever you are and happy Halloween